It's You're listening to Wow Ergonomics with Stephen Howe and Graham Cove, sponsored by Backer Elkhuizen. Thank you. You can get off now. Come on, stop that. Stop the bed. Now we're trying to catch you all out this week because yeah. we're here on a Friday. We've very, 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 very rarely done a Friday, have we, mm. Steve? No. And not only have we changed the day, but it's the time. Because I think I just said to you before, Graham, I thought it was our usual noon and dialed in to find out you were in the middle of doing something else. So I had to quickly <laughs> <laughs> you, move you around. Oh, my goodness. I better, I better shower and change and yeah, get yeah. ready because yeah. I'm meant to be there. But actually, no, you were fine. You were, yes. you were still there. Oh, it, just been told we're live on YouTube. Hi, YouTube people. Hi, YouTube. Uh, anyone on Twitter, hello. Hope you're having a, a lovely Poets Day today. Um, do, you, do, do you still call it that, Poets Day? I do uh, No, do you? Um, no. Oh, well, used to when I, at, at the last place of work, they used to call it Poets Day. Right. You know, you know what it means, don't you? Yeah, it's just not yeah. something I've ever used or oh, heard. Right. No. Now, listen, I can't actually decide. Um, mm. There's this conversation that's a little bit left over from the last uh, live that I've just done. Um, I've got a I'm obviously not going to eat now, but I've got a, a I've got a sandwich here. So it's a, it's a um, smoked cheese sandwich with some twiglets. Do the twi- do I put the twiglets in the smoked cheese sandwich or, or leave them on the side? Yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, you could even forget the smoked smoked fish and just go with a crisp sandwich no 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 smoked, no, cheese. smoked cheese you could leave yeah. the cheese out you could even go with a i think a crisp sandwich is perfectly acceptable yeah are you a twiglet fan though are you, are you like a marmite a person or not Got a, <sighs> bizarre bit like tomatoes and tomato ketchup i like twiglets but i don't particularly like marmite yeah well it is slightly different isn't it mm. it is slightly different um, nobody else likes Twiglets in our house. It's great at Christmas because everyone always buys us a, a, a big tub of those. Like a cylinder, isn't it? A of cylinder the... of Twiglets. Yeah, yeah. And no one else wants to eat them. Shame. <sighs> Gutted. Utterly shameful. Anyway, um, got a special guest coming on now. Great. Um, you might recognise the name. Oh, no, hang on a second. I actually genuinely don't know who it is. I know. Well, I know you don't know who it is, but you you might actually recognise the name. I've just got to take the, I've just got to take the branding off to, yeah, to yeah. squeeze an, an, another. Ooh, look at that! Ooh. Uh, to squeeze another person in. So if I take that off and I bring him in, let's see who who it is. Hello. Ah, uh, here he is. You're right. Yeah. How are you? I thought I I come from a dark place, but that looks pretty <laughs> dark where you are today. What is it with us coves and and dark um, spaces? Yeah, I don't know. I for for you know those that haven't seen me on live before, I uh, live in a basement, so uh, everything is lit by film lights. Uh, there's one just here that's that's giving us all the. All well, the... Do you know what I I haven't shown you this yet, but I've bought one similar look. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> <I know. laughs> film lights are the way forward uh, for um for keeping your. Uh, for keeping your uh, work lit, and for heat. it's nothing to do with the fact that electricity prices have gone absolutely through the roof today, <laughs> and you are only turning on—you've only like got one light on the go as opposed to the normal sort of rack of lights, as it were. We yeah, will talk, we we will talk about that in a minute because surely, to goodness, um, people are going to start moving outside to work, aren't they? If especially in the summer, if it's if it's warm, I mean, at least you don't have to have lights on. If you're if you're outside, that that makes sense. The clocks have probably changed at the ideal time, haven't they? For the fact that actually a lot there's there's generally just a lot more a lot more light around at the moment, isn't there? But yeah, I mean it's just you know talking about rationing gas, aren't they in Germany and Austria or something? It's like yeah, rationing gas. Yeah, and yet and you know a little bit of an aside, but I don't know whether you saw um, 
Ben Fogel's program this week. You know, he does that uh, Ben Fogel out in the wild or whatever, where he goes to see people that live out in the wild. And this, and he's this is this series is a return to the wild. So it's a it's a he's recapping on people that he's been to see before. And uh, this week he went back to see this family, and it's uh, it was a couple of vets that shunned the industry, if it were, and and got in a bit of trouble in the in the press, or certainly the the guy did um, many many moons ago, and then they've. They've gone out into a piece of countryside in, in this country to, to escape from everybody and find a really ecological way of living. Now, this guy is brilliant at inventing things. One of the things he's invented, get this, is a way of using rotten mass to produce methane and use it with his cooker. They don't pay for gas at all. They literally, all of the waste product... And um, what he and do you know what he based it on? Because he obviously, being a vet, biology, he he based it on the idea of a cow's stomach. <laughs> okay. Right? So he basically made out of a, a, a big unit and stuff. He made a cow's stomach, and he put cows. <laughs> he put cow manure into it, and he worked out that what all of the the bacteria and everything would do and all you do is you feed it with the household waste and then he found a way of extracting off the methane pushing it back through the system and straight into the cooker and they cook on that wow and ben and ben was going why don't we all have one of those imagine if we just all had our own gas supply from waste food which is just going to go to you know but hang on, would we not need to then waste a whole load of food to produce gas? No, it, it's just just the leftover. Just what the leftovers. In, just the leftovers that you and I put in a brown bin at the moment and carry to the end of the street to have taken away once a week. Who goodness knows where it goes, right? He's utilising that to make gas that he then cooks on. Genius. Absolutely genius. Mm-hmm. And, okay. then, and he's also working on, at the moment, this was the thing that he left Ben with, he's also working on a way of, uh, again, some kind of rotten mass material, actually heating his water. So clever. He puts it into, into this system. It creates heat. It heats up water and it pipes through and it, it creates his hot water for him. So he doesn't have, he, it's just, it's brilliant. He's completely, they're completely off grid. Wow, that's impressive. I just, I, it is impressive. I just think, you know, we need, someone needs to come up with some commercial way of actually sorting this all out. Mm. It makes you, it makes you think that half the problem is people making money. Doesn't it? Because clearly there are alternative ways of doing it. Let's get revolutionary, Addy. What we what we're gonna what we're gonna do? Let's get revolutionary. I mean, to be fair, you're you're not you're not wrong on the idea that the main reason it's probably not commercially viable is because of gas companies and, and yeah. people that would not want that to yeah to happen. That is probably the number one reason why it isn't a thing that's widely distributed. Yeah, and I, mean, I, I said to you a few weeks ago, Graham, there has to be. A load of tricks of the trade that that would help people reduce their use of electricity that for some reason and this is one of the things i've not understood with all of this there, there must be a whole load of things that you can do but hmm. the, so despite the pricing going up why is no one telling us all the and i know the obvious things like standby and all those sort of stuff but they, rather than people being concerned how do you find the extra money actually how do you use less yeah well, that's that's the stupid thing, isn't it? The, the the great advice that we're being told at the moment is, you know, the best way of not using this is literally it. You know, the yeah. best way of not using electricity is to not use electricity. Yeah, brilliant. Just turn brilliant. off turn off your lights. That will yeah, yeah. Fantastic, fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it was a bit like um, Matt Lucas made a similar joke on Celebrity Bake Off last night. He, he one of the celebrities said, "Oh yeah, I make quite a good." I've never baked before, but I make a great spaghetti bolognese. 
And Matt Lucas turned around and said, you know, you make a great spaghetti bolognese, don't you? He said, no, make a great spaghetti bolognese. I mean, it literally is that, isn't it? It really is. It's that kind of nonsensical advice. Mm. Yeah. How do, you, how do you save electricity? Don't use any electricity. Brilliant. Yeah, thanks, thanks. for that. Thanks for that. Mm. Yeah. You've really, you really saved me. Yeah. Anyway, Addy's here to tell us about what he's, he's up oh, yeah. to. At the oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um... We're we're using a load of electricity. Right? <laughs> um, I'm so he to, needs needs money because he's using I'm, electricity. I'm trying to assemble the biggest wall of lights possible uh, <laughs> for no reason whatsoever. No, um, we're doing something a little bit more important than wasting electricity. Um, though we are using quite a lot of gas in the process. We are um, making a film. It's a short documentary uh, that follows an AFAB drag queen which is an assigned female at birth drag queen so someone that's a woman that does drag um which is not something uh many people think of when they think of drag uh it's not often talked about in mainstream media and we we go into that a little bit in the documentary it's slightly critical of some of uh mainstream representation of drag so yeah it's about it's an important short documentary um that we're currently in the process of making we're also raising money so that we can actually make the thing because we're filming it in brighton um which which to be fair if you're making a drag film and you don't go to brighton um you've basically missed missed the point of making a drag yeah. film at that point <laughs> um so we're, we're in brighton but we're all cheltenham based film students uh this is our graduation film so it's a it's a fair trek and a lot of the budget has gone towards us being able to stay in Brighton and spend time with the wonderful drag community there. Um, so yeah, that's that's the nuts and bolts of what's happening. Um, but I also think if you guys have got questions about it, I'd love to I'd love to shoot answers back at you. There's so many questions. I mean, speaking about drag, I mean, you know how these things are just sort of coincidental, and I'm yeah. slightly going off tangent here. But no, the other no, last night I was watching the Shane Warne Memorial um, right. documentary or live stream from where they'd done a big thing at the MCG. And, 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 and bizarrely, it, it re recapped the interview with Barry Humphreys. Oh, wow. Um, who was dressed as... But you know, I did wonder where that was going for a minute. I did wonder yeah. what you were saying. There was something about Shane Warne that I didn't realise. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. funny enough. But it was the interview then with... with obviously, did when it was with Barry Humphreys. And that was the only link that I've got, to be quite honest, is that having not been thinking of the drag sort of whole scene, it was like, oh, yeah. hang on, there was that thing the other night. Is Barry Humphreys um, a massive cricket fan then? He's Australian, so he's got to be, hasn't he? Yeah. I mean, okay. that's a massive stereotypical brush I've just painted. Everyone in Australia loves cricket. But you'd probably think so, wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I can't see them not liking cricket. No. No. Why, why the subject matter? Why, why did you pick the subject matter in the first place? So, uh, basically, as, a, as like a documentary director, my main aim has always been to platform people that don't have a platform or like give voices to people that don't have access to their voice being in mainstream media a lot and then this uh this the person that this documentary is about their name's jasmine uh they're like really bubbly and fun they're someone that i used to do theater with back in the day when i used to do theater um they've since started doing drag they are um making their way up up the ladder in terms of um, career path in drag, and it's what they'd like to do uh, full time once they graduate. They're also a student, um, so they just I I saw their story and I was talking to them about it, but way before I knew this was going to be a documentary, I was just talking to about them as as friends, and it was it was bonkers, it's crazy, and I was like, there's so much madness the film is called overwhelmingly gay and chaotic and it's just that sums up the whole thing perfectly it's it's fun uh there's a little bit of dark stuff but it's it's mostly a celebration about uh this amazing individual with this community um lots of pink lots of purples lots of bright lights mm. um lots of lots of fun 
Uh, lots of chaos. We've been editing together the first a bit of footage that we've got, and there's lots of stuff being dropped and people uh, people running around like crazy trying to get ready last minute. It's lots of exciting stuff that we uh, that we've had a lot of fun filming so far. Yeah, it, it's 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 one of those things when people talk about a career in drag. Mm. I mean, that's a uh, you know. I'm sure there's some people, I mean, again, I might be making assumptions, but there might be some people that watch this and will go, can you have a career in drag? Yeah, you, you for sure can. Um, drag yeah. has become, especially in the last 10 years, drag uh, has become a massive industry. Yeah. Uh, it's it's moved out from being um, something that's more closeted like or yeah. or not something you encounter very often to being... I mean, it's got mainstream representation. You have uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, which is... Exactly, there's, yeah. There's about six or seven RuPaul Drag Race shows now in terms of uh, various places you can watch it. Um, so, so yeah, it's moved out of uh, being a small thing into uh, to a big thing. Um, I mean, we've been talking to various people that have got careers in drag uh, at the moment. Um, but, yeah, part of, part of what we're doing is uh taking a look at RuPaul because they've said some problematic things in their past and we're talking about um whether there should be just like one voice in mainstream media that represents drag or whether there should be a, a wider wider net cast and whether people should maybe stop looking to just RuPaul when they're mm. thinking about making drag related things so how do you make a, and I'm thinking from a purely from a financial perspective here, how do you yeah. make a career out of it? What, what, what's the, where, where does it generate income? What, you, what are the, this community, what's the community in Brighton you're referencing? What do they do to generate an yeah. income? You, you play shows. Um, so drag shows, I think, are one of the main ways that people make money. I mean, you have drag influencers as well, uh, people that have massive online followings that, um, they make money off of that. Uh, but yeah, that's the, the main things are performing, um, showcasing talent. There's so many events and like drag clubs that people don't realize exist. But like drag drag clubs exist all over the place. Um, especially we've been in Brighton. There's there's at least three or four that we've stumbled across that we didn't realize were drag clubs until it was pointed out to us that that's what it was. Um, so yeah, venues, venues hire them to do stuff, shows, um, shows will pay them to come and be in them. I mean, we've had, uh, we, we've learned about some drag queens that are actually like employed full time as like regular, like servers or workers at places and they do shows on a, on a regular basis. So yeah, it's a, it's a growing, um, it's a growing sector of theater, if you like, it's a, it's sort of, um, becoming less about just gender expression and it's also like an art form now as well okay. where you can you can do it as a form of art i was going to ask that actually who's coming to, or who's going to drag shows um i mean that okay it's hard to define who goes to a drag show um because <laughs> we've seen we've seen all sorts so far and just are like we we've only done a few uh trips we've only been to brighton once but we've gone to a few locations we've seen all sorts um obviously the lgbtq plus community really really active in terms of um being at drag shows and enjoying uh lgbtq friendly venues which mm. also tend to be drag drag venues um but also we've just seen We've seen men on stag do's go to go to drag shows, you know, um, and we've we've seen women on hen do's go to drag shows as well. Not to not to limit anyone, um, and we've we've just seen just normal people turning up to have a good time. Uh, we tend to find loads of actually younger women like going to drag venues because they don't feel like they're going to get as harassed as much mm. by uh, men <laughs> when they go out. And they feel like they're going to have a, a nicer a nicer night. Yeah. Because whilst you were talking about that, and the reason I asked that question is because I was just thinking in terms of representation in sort of general hmm. 
media and and but not necessarily from an entertainment point of view but in terms of maybe things like marketing etc um you know Stephen, would we ever see uh someone in drag actually advertising ergonomic products for example well why not yeah well exactly why not i, I but think it, it would be one of the it would what i'm saying is it doesn't yeah. happen does it it doesn't happen and i think it's still probably reflective of the fact that that first organization to sort of put themselves out there as it were someone prepared to to you know put their hand up and go we're going to do it first there's still that I guess the commercial, there's still probably those concerns from a commercial organization, isn't there, about doing something that's a little bit outside of mainstream and then maybe there's a reluctance to do it. And once it's done, you know it just happened again and again, but it's that who's prepared to take that first that yeah. first step and go, we're going to do it. I mean, the ergonomic community is pretty bad at that in a way, in that it's, I think traditionally, it's always kind of, it has aimed itself at sort of, the white man in a suit or you know someone in business attire etc it, it hasn't really managed to bust out even into sort of like oh let's show someone necessarily in a t-shirt and shorts or whatever half the time um and yet even more so not saying that it's it really hasn't sort of shown itself as being inclusive let's say in terms of <laughs> who models it um but there's an op there is an opportunity there, mm. I think. I, I think it's the same in a lot of industries where we're seeing drag and uh, just in general diversity creep into a lot of things now. Uh, I mean, just just setting drag aside for a minute, it's, it's nice to see people of colour, um, LGBT um, performers or just uh, celebrities in general. Uh, starting to be brought to more prominence in the last like five, ten years, and they they bring they're they're coming to more prominence because they bring a large demographic with them. They bring mm. an ever increasing market with them, um, and that's that seems to be the case at the moment. Is these people are growing followers exponentially faster than people that aren't in this sector because it's. Um, it's something that is growing and growing and growing. Like yeah, and, and going back to Stephen's point, you you wonder uh, where's the tipping point in all of that. Yeah. You wonder at which point you know people actually need to stop going. Do you know what we are? We are going to continue with this stereotypical mm. uh, image of of our client and putting that that forward in front of people because we're so scared of losing that kind of client to the point where they actually start losing that client because that client wants to see the diversity and wants to see the inclusion in the marketing and the material mm. and everything else. Well, you that's know. what that's what we found really funny um, talking to some of the, especially some of the AFAB and female queens, uh, was that um, that's almost what's happening with uh, RuPaul at the moment where they're starting to kind of lose a little bit of support from the actual drag community because they they're so mainstream they echo yeah. what people would like to see that right. it's like the actual community itself uh parts of it is starting to become unhappy with how like mm. refined and like safe it is because it's not representational with them anymore it's becoming like its own thing and you see that a lot of the time don't you where something comes through that's something different and to carry on being involved they then change from being that different thing that was the attraction to then mainstream and then the turnoff is the fact that they're just mainstream and they could be anyone and, exactly. and again it's the, the, the sort of feeling within that community then sort of goes well hang on a second you've you've sort of sold out probably i mean could be oh, the phrase to use yeah. have they sold I mean, out how, to keep how many that times popularity? have you seen that how many times have you seen that with a band or musician or whatever where you know that they 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 had a an agenda they had something different about them they had a mm. you know they had something to say and then they get the the big contract and they're put here there and everywhere and suddenly they're just saying what the industry wants them to say in yeah. order to 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 be in the right place at the right time but it's you know they actually end up losing their credibility mm. i think a lot of the time as well it's when people stop being just like when they lose that edge of being, oh, I'm one person, 
Um, I'm one person with a camera and a small crew, and we're all uh, in the community to being large. I'm a large person with a, a whole team with me and like six producers who all uh, make sure everything I say is okay before I say stuff and everything. As soon as you start getting to that level where there's so much money involved that you've got loads of cooks in the kitchen, uh, you almost get the same processed stuff, no matter no matter how many people you have. And something you're probably more of an expert on than, than me, Addy, but I, I, you, Graham mentioned you mentioned music. I'm thinking of films here. And the one that sort of springs to mind in my mind would be someone like Tarantino. Is when, you know, and, and this is not, you know, I, I enjoy his films, but, and it's certainly not my area of expertise, but you started off with edgy stuff like Reservoir Dogs. And as you then look through the films that then were produced, they, they, they sort of lost their edginess and just became something that appealed to getting bums on seats in cinemas. Would, would that be a good example or is it? Tarantino's a really interesting one because I think um, maybe the change we see in Tarantino, who has notoriously always been quite um, thick gold in terms of uh, listening to advice from people is... Uh, that Tarantino has just kind of his style seems to have just matured with age mm. as he's become more it's come older his stories seem to have matured where you can definitely see uh his older work in his new work but it's like there's more human story in it as well but you can definitely see it in um I mean if we look at like Josh Joss Whedon, who did uh, started with Buffy the Vampire Slayer um, ages ago, and did uh, Justice League before Zack Snyder finished Justice League, um, and Justice League turned into uh, like a mean the original cut that was released is just like a meaningless uh, blob of like um, corporate creativity, if you like, and the original. A Buffy show is very, very interesting and like uses uh, lots of lots of complex themes of like human human problems, but put in metaphysical natures. It's very, very interesting to see someone's style and at what point in their career. Uh, I think it happens to most people at mm. some point is you lose your you either lose your uh, your like unique thing completely or you get called an author. And then you're, and then you're like someone that's very like, I do things my way. Mm. Yeah, no one, can, no one can tell me what to do. Uh, Ben's watching and, and asks this question: Do you think there's a link between how inclusive the venues are and how vulnerable the performers make themselves? Uh, absolutely, for sure. Um, and also, there's a link between. Um, this is a link that not a lot of people think about, but there's a link between not only how vulnerable performers uh want to make themselves um because of the venues but also the the like mainstream image that is projected of drag um if if that doesn't include your style of drag that can really make you feel very self-conscious about whether your drag is valid and whether your like art form is valid or whether you're or you feel you get a bit of like imposter syndrome and for sure, we've been we've been talking to people who have um, felt like uh, they like held themselves back from starting drag for years because they didn't feel like they were fully part of that community or they were able to do it because they didn't know from the mainstream representation that they could and that was a thing. So yeah, for a really interesting question. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, for sure. We we saw some crazy stuff at Club Revenge. Give a shout out to Club Revenge in uh, in Brighton. They've been very helpful to us, um, and they're like one of the number one drag venues in Brighton. If you ever get a chance, great night out. Um, and the stuff that we saw there was crazy uh, compared to what you see on like main, mainstream drag TV shows. Absolutely wild. But yeah, and if you had any sort of initial feedback from the community about how this document, this documentary is going to be sort of received, how, what are they? Are they? Is, have they got a thought as to what they want you to portray? Are they? Is there something that we don't want you to do this or just crack on yeah. with it? So, obviously, 
I'm not a woman in drag, so we've been we've been led by the people we've met and telling their stories. So my um, input as a director is to make sure that we get a clear a clear narrative um, and that it's like it all cuts together nicely and that we're telling people's story in a truthful way. Um, and they are giving us the stories and the community is one that's really open. And what we found actually is a lot of people are really eager to see this sort of thing represented and they're really um there's a big big thought within the community basically that this will be becoming mainstream hopefully within the next few years and that this is this is a really important film at this particular moment um because it's at the cusp of that happening and we're hoping just to be part of the push over the edge to yeah. When you say this will become mainstream, what, drag uh, in general or female, or... female drag, uh, female and drag. Like more more diverse drag in general. But yeah, yeah, you've got you've got clients in um, Brighton, haven't you, Stephen? I was wondering where that question was going there. To be honest, so uh, no, no, yes, no, I didn't say you've got things in your closet. We know that. No, no. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. There are a number of, in fact, actually across that whole sort of south coast, there is quite a large sort of ergonomic community down there. Um, yeah. So yeah, and, no, so, and some of them are involved in uh, in entertainment themselves, aren't they? I'm that I'm aware of. Uh, hang on, yeah, you might who, have to be more specific. Come on. <laughs> well, uh, um, Dave Blood uh, uh, likes to do his comedy shows down there. Yes, he does. Yes. Yeah, raising money. So. Yeah, I wonder whether. I mean, I think Dave. Dave would be completely. I, I'm not putting this. Uh, uh, Stephen's not saying this. I'm saying this. I'm, I'm sure no, Dave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure Dave would be up for for getting um, someone uh, in drag doing some some ergonomic uh, promotion. I'm sure he would. He's to <laughs> totally his totally his bag. Hey, look. The thing is, they. They are like, from what we've experienced, they are like one of the best communities. If you mm. want someone to come in and like make something funny that takes the piss out of what you already, what is the norm? Yeah. If yeah. you, if if the norm for ages has been a white guy in a suit uh, promoting products, then that you for sure can get like a AFAB queen to come in and do a look that is like uh, takes the complete piss out of this uh, stereotype. And like rips it apart in a very funny way. Well, yeah, I, I kind of know that from myself because many, many moons ago, before you were born, um, Are you talking to me or to Addy? To Addy. Okay. Uh, I, I, I worked with I worked with a drag community on a radio station, um, and we had they had a, a a dance music show called Boogie Bass and Soulfish. There's a great name, <laughs> and. Uh, Sounds like a firm of, firm of solicitors, doesn't but, it? But we also, yeah, but we also did we also did some radio comedy together, and and they were just absolutely fantastic at coming up with these over the top characterizations of, of people, um, and you know, but that actually, from a marketing point of view, that can be really really powerful because they can really kind of get into that, you know, caricature, which, yeah. For you sure. know, because that's what it is. I mean, isn't drag is that in a sense, isn't it? It's a caricature of it's a, a larger than life version of you well, know that's that's kind of what we're we're getting at in the documentary is that drag actually I mean not to not to counter counterpoint what you say, but drag is actually whatever you want it to be. In terms of that's that's the general consensus from the community is like drag drag is actually too big to be labeled as one thing, like and it's so diverse that you would have to present so many shows to like actually show the whole diversity of drag. So it's really individual because a lot of the time it is just based on whatever the individual drag queen is trying to criticize or like make a mockery of. That tends to be what comes out. So yeah, it's a it's it, whilst you're right that a lot of drag is that it's so diverse that it's very hard to pinpoint exactly what is drag. Yeah, Ben. Again, really interesting mm. that people feel safe in, uh, from harassment in these venues. What can other venues learn from them? 
Um, was there anything you I was going to say? Is there anything you saw when in these venues that really sort of oh I didn't expect to see that or you know that's that's an interesting idea. Any sort of when you went into the venue, what really stuck out, Addy? Um, tell you what, uh, you didn't have people. Um, you know that people normally when you go to like a club or like a bar, it's always like clumps of people. Mm. We didn't really see that in the drag venue. Everyone sort of interacted with each other in a very fluid way. Like we came with a group of six drag queens and they went into club and almost they like got a drink together and then immediately almost dispersed into Is the it crowd. almost more like family? Yeah, yeah. Everyone everyone seemed to seem to even if they didn't know people there was seeming to just like um I mean, bless them. We went with we went with someone who um, didn't didn't realise we were going to turn up with a film crew before we got there, um, and they hadn't seen drag before. They were there with their friend who's a drag queen, so they hadn't seen drag. They were there whilst we were getting ready. They hadn't seen a film crew before, and they hadn't been to this drag club before. And they turned they went um, with their friend and us to this club, and the club was chaotic as all heck and they were sticking to their friend for like five minutes, which is what you would expect. And then they, they just went off and met new people and they seemed happy. And, and it was like, you know, it just had the vibe of being a safe space where everyone was mm. interacting and, and just, um, yeah. Not that's a really, I think that's a really important um, dynamic, which I think a lot of cultures, fail to manage to achieve um my favorite bands are the ones where if i go to one of their gigs it's like that yeah and it's actually part of you know it's, it's part of what makes the experience so good hmm. and it's it's hard for people to understand that until they they walk into that situation but I know Addy, Addy's going to hate me mentioning Marillion, but um, but whenever you go to whenever you go to a Marillion gig, the point hang on, hang, is, before you carry on, is it is it the fact that he doesn't like them or he's sick of you banging on about them? That, yeah, probably. That, yeah, that, probably that. But but the thing is, it is like family, and and unlike some other gigs where you go to, where you go with, as you say, you go with your group of friends, and then that's it. It there's a total thing in a, in in a Marillion gig backstage beforehand. People will just go and talk to each other and just you know because it's almost like it is family. Um, well, and there's not that there's not that kind of clumping. And I so what I've creates actually, that? Then why does that happen, Graham? What, what because what, that what is, is created it? by the band. The band okay. create that. I will I will say part of it was the performers as well for, yeah. for the drag venue because um I mean I was amazed at one point because we I'd just been chatting to this person for uh about 20 minutes and then and then Jazz our subject comes up to me and goes um like they're they're like pretty big in the drag community like they're a pretty big name around here actually and it was like it took me a second to realize that half the people were like just starting out. Like we had two people there that it was their first drag show they'd ever done. And half of them were like really well established. And you could not tell from how they were acting with people who was correct. Who. It it's was where just... ego gets left at the side. Yeah. And I think mm -hmm. that's the important thing. You know, when you've got when you get a, a set of performers or a band or whatever, and they they generally they feel part of a family as well and they respect the fact that they would not be there unless the people in, that are surrounding them are supporting them that changes the dynamic it's not i'm the performer you've come to see me i'm on my my you know almighty horse up here and it's it's a real genuine respect and love all around and i think that's that's what changes it For i sure. think yeah I think, that, I think that's and that reflects across all sorts of things. I think if you can you can take that into music, I think you can take that into sport as well, can't you? And going along and supporting a team or whatever. I think I think when you've got that connection 
between the if you if you call the sports team the performer and the crowd or the you know the audience if you've got that connection that's what creates that open situation but when you don't have it it's sort of it's not quite them and us but it is that sort of way isn't it that there isn't that there's sort of a bit of a an edge to it all isn't there and i'm going to twist it back around to ergonomics again oh no i actually that's that is the subject matter that i talked to uh, the South African Ergonomic Society about last year when I when I was one of the, the main speakers at their event. Again, the ergonomics industry has been too prone to that. It's been too prone to, you know, a, a telling people off mm. from the top, you know. So ergonomists are like, don't do this. Don't do that. You shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be doing this. You've got to be doing it this way, etc. Rather than actually trying to put themselves in the position of of the people mm. and try and understand you know i've even seen it from assessors i've seen it where assessors have gone around the gun no you shouldn't do it that way wagging right? their finger and, actually, and wagging their finger and actually you, you know i've 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 been in after other assessors sometimes and i can remember one of the ones that really sticks out this one guy that sat there in his chair and he was like you're gonna tell me i can't sit like this right that was the first thing he said to me you know and he had his he had his and rather than say no you can't that's not good for you i said shall we talk about why you sit like that you know try to understand it from his point of view mm-hmm. You tell me why is and he said, well, I sit like this because this is more comfortable on my back, etc. And once we started to talk about it, and I go, yeah, actually, that is better for your back like that. But what about your monitor? What about that position? And, and you know, isn't that actually hurting your neck a little bit? And he said, yeah, that does hurt my neck a little bit. Okay, so maybe can we see what we can do to try and allow you to sit like that? And you know, if you try and understand where people are. Mm then you break down those barriers but it's so there a little bit of a lesson for the ergonomics community as well i'd love to throw this gauntlet out to anyone in the ergonomics community um we in the film industry do not have great ergonomics in terms of our equipment there we go some of it is so heavy um i'll give you an example and this is a strenuous link but a link to um <laughs> a link to uh we like strenuous yeah. we like tenuously strenuous links on here a, a link a link to graham's uh graham's comment about south african um ergonomics society committee yeah. yeah one of the two um our cinematographer is also south african i'm actually the only english member of our crew everyone else comes from some some various faraway land um and she has gotten back um this week from filming last week has not stopped complaining about her back all week um because of uh basically we have a camera that weighs and it's a pretty light camera considering what it does uh so for the industry this is lighter than normal we've got a camera that weighs 223.4 kg or something without without anything else wow. added on so when you add stuff on it can easily go 25 and up kg well, you think you think about it from a hse perspective putting the ergonomics to one side if you think a box if you're sort of working in a in a warehouse or, or if you're packing a box of equipment it, it this is like a 25 kilo max isn't it i think on something like that so you're already talking you're talking about lifting a box you're already talking about that being carried yeah, before the add-ons for a sustained period of time no no yeah. this goes on your one shoulder whichever your dominant shoulder is and you don't operate on both shoulders you don't alternate you only operate on your dominant shoulder um it will have one or two hand uh like bars for you to grip on Mm. So that like sits here and the camera's up here. And then you have to like lean your neck to one side to look through the eyepiece to to film. Sometimes if we need the screen out, the screen will fold out and you have to push your head back like that to look at the screen. Um, Which to be fair, people try and uh, 
try and design cameras ergonomically, I think, but I don't think uh, it's done amazingly most of the time. Mm. Um, and so this one shoulder piece, which is about this long and has a piece of foam about that thick with a general curve on it, sits on your shoulder. And we can be filming for, I mean, on a narrative set that's not a documentary, they will film and normally they will use a tripod for some of it so this is a generalization but they will be filming um like three three minute takes which means that has to sit there and be completely still for three minutes and move when you need it to without bumping around and they work 12 hour days at least uh with that on your shoulder for most of that and it only comes off when um you get a break it is craziness um we need some sort of system for supporting the camera that maybe spreads the weight across both shoulders or or does so because there's completely unused shoulder here that maybe you could make some sort of system that loops around um well, there, there is there is a lot of people uh in more manual jobs as well working i've seen quite a lot on linkedin lately uh working in the sector on um ectoskeletons or eco ecoskeletons as yeah. well um maybe maybe something of that might might pop well, up we do we do have them in the film industry this is why i'm laying out laying out the gauntlet here um you you can charge whatever the uh i won't swear whatever the hell whatever the hell you would <laughs> like charge whatever the hell you like in the film industry there are so few competitors um that the cheapest, uh, the cheapest like competitor to you, if you made Netso skeleton, that is just a vest, a, some sort of design that would take the weight of a camera, would be like probably a grand. So if you could charge less than a grand, you would right. be able to sell that, um, and legitimately, you'd be the cheapest option on the market because uh, film wants to go back to back with film equipment is made. Uh, by maybe a maximum of 10 companies, most mm. of which also make cameras. Um, so they they really gatekeep, you know, the, the industry. And um, in terms of prices, that's why they're so high. Imagine that. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's... So you're it's, saying, you're saying Backer could come out with one of those tomorrow, 899, and they just dominate the market. Fantastic. Happy days. For sure. If you if you basically, <laughs> I'll, I'll even let you in on how to, because um, I've been I've been watching it myself. I'll even let you know how to dominate the film industry from getting your equipment in if you want. Um, for, so that's for what's called an in. This is an in. Yeah. Um, so this, this is, is how Black Magic are the newest company in the film space in terms of the new big one, um, and they've managed to get in in what I think is the most effective way. I've ever seen, which is um, they just give discounted rates and like free equipment to go with their software to universities. And then when the film students all come out of universities, that is all they know how to use. Yeah. And then the the people in the industry have to buy that magic stuff because it's what people know how to use. Uh, it's happening all over in loads of different countries. Um, Black Magic have given away. They've got this thing at the moment where you can get a free, uh, like mixing board for their software, uh, which is for color grading and editing. Um, if you're a university, you can just have one of their big expensive boards sent to you for free. That's so that people in the editing world will only know how to edit with their yeah. board. And then mm -hmm. when you leave, you have to buy one. Like that one unit they've shipped, that'll that will result in what if you've got a class obviously other 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 makes are available of course um, um actually unless it's third party no other no other company no, no other makes are available so that so, that, that, that literally yeah, unless, that unless literally is a monopoly black, ma black magic are because they own the software as well and they don't let people make wow. first party things that are compatible not saying it's bad though not saying it's bad it's good it's good kit black That's magic good. is uh, amazing because before they came along, um, they basically like two thirds of what everything else costs were lopped off the price. 
Right. So that all black magic kit is a third of the price of every other piece of kit, and it's still really high. But you see, with my sales hat on, I don't like the sound of that. All I'm thinking is, did you have to take 66% off? Why did why are they why did they feel they needed to come down that far? Uh, to get into the industry because it's really like um, so they they couldn't have so that that was the gap they needed to make to really create interest was to show such a significant reduction. When you're talking about cameras, yeah, for yeah. getting cameras in hands for sure because yeah, okay. otherwise you're talking about. I mean the cinematographers aren't the people that are booting the bill for mm. the cameras normally it's the production studios if you're going to a production studio and going this film that you've spent i don't know six million to set up uh i'd like to buy a camera that's um 20 grand cheaper um you know they're they're not gonna waste the possibility of six million pounds yeah. worth of going bad for 20 grand but I can now get a black magic camera that is like eight grand. I mean, mm. that will do the same thing that uh, if if not not quite as well, but almost unless you're trained unnoticeably as well right. as um, a cam the camera that we've got at university that costs sixty eight grand or something. So whoa, that's an whoa. old. That that's is a model from two thousand and fourteen. £68,000. Wow. It's a, cheap, wow. it's a cheap, cheap version of that camera as well. Flipping heck. There are cameras oh. that cost half a mil, you know, once you've, once you've gone all in on the equipment to support it as well. Mm. You're looking at a lot of money. Where the, where are most of these cameras made? Are they just out of interest? Are they are these UK products? Or I'm knocking European? them up in my back garden. What are you on? Yeah. So <laughs> one, of, one of the biggest camera manufacturers... In terms of cinema cameras is uh ari and they are based in the uk uh and if you were going to buy a really high-end camera in the uk you would buy an ari because their support is incredible like we've um like the big sixty-eight thousand pound camera at uni is is an ari um it's a slightly older one but it's an ari um and loads of loads of like films you go and see at the cinema and shot on them as well mm. um but we literally on our camera we had a cable internally break and it stopped the camera from working and the uni technicians phoned ari about it and they sent someone out within four hours with a kit and wow. they fixed it and it was like we lost maybe half a day of shooting so ari will really uh look after people in terms of uh, fixing stuff if you're UK based, yeah. But Marvel have just started using Ari cameras for some of their stuff, so that's cool. Good, but yeah, me. that's the only the only UK one that I can think of. So this uh, this brings us back round to money. Um, all this stuff costs <laughs> all this stuff costs an awful lot of money. Uh, you're yeah. trying to raise you're trying to raise money for this. We are um, trying to raise money. Um, yeah. to make this film it's really really so important. What, What's on offer? I mean, it's a Kickstarter scheme. What's on offer? If if people, um, I've put some money in the pot, so I, I know I'm getting my name on the poster. Um, what what uh, what's on offer for people if they right. if they want to put some money into this film? All right, let me let me talk you through it. So you you give us he's five, done this before, hasn't he? You give yeah. us five pounds. That's like nothing, really. That's like you know, what's that? A drop in the ocean? You buy lunch with a fiver, wouldn't you? You get the behind-the-scenes photos of what, what we've been up to. You get to see the whole process. You give us £10. That's that's slightly more. You get all the behind-the-scenes videos as well. You get to see all the lovely, lovely stuff. Then we jump up to £25. Now, that's where you really want to be. That's where the party starts. Because at that point, you start... <laughs> that's where the party starts. Because that's where you start to get your name in the credits of the film. Um, which is which is who wouldn't want their names in the credits of a film as a as a thank you. Um, you also get a digital poster that's signed by the whole crew and the subject. Um, and then if you jump up to fifty pounds, we start to get a bit more personal for you. So you actually get personalised thank you videos uh, from the crew as well as the um, cast of the documentary. 
and everyone involved will all... Can I just, just, just point out, all of that is really good material for social media. Uh, yeah, I, I did forget to mention this. If you, if you, £50 is also the, the point where we start. Um, we can make posts on social media about you donating if you want, if you call that into, you know, call that in, you message us. We're like, yeah, that's cool. We can, we can do that. We've got, we can access a list of who's donated so we can help sort that out. Um, then at a hundred pounds, you actually get physical stuff. So you get like a physical poster. Um, that's signed by the whole crew and we're only accepting 20 20 people at 100 pounds so yeah I, I haven't worked out where i'm going to put the poster yet but yeah there's only going to be 20 of these posters in in the world um at any point so you'll be, you'll have this exclusively um yeah and you also get access to photos of the whole crew in drag which is um pretty neat because it's it's people, some of them don't want to be in drag, but have agreed to do it for the cause. Um, so that's that's nice of them. So you can see us all in drag. And then um, from that point on, the only tier we've got is like £2,000, which is the whole budget of the film. Uh, if you give us £2,000, we're, we're going to give you an executive uh, producer credit. So if you've ever wanted to be an executive producer, We'll give you a credit for that. You don't have to do any work. You just have to give us the money. We're, we'll say that you did loads of work. We don't mind. Um, and we're, also, <laughs> we're also offering um, anyone that gives us £2,000 uh, a opportunity to come to Brighton with the whole crew and the cast. Um, you can meet uh, Tayris, who is the owner of Club Revenge. You can have a whole drag show, whole drag night with us. Wow. It's, it's all... All groovy. If you want a whole experience, you know, that's the one to go for. But yeah, uh, if there's any anything in between a hundred and like um a hundred and two thousand isn't on Kickstarter, but if like businesses wanted to come in, we're happy to put like corporate logos at the end. Um I haven't spoken about this yet, but the whole crew is uh it's like an award-winning crew or have history at festivals. Um, there's like a high probability this will end up at festivals in quite a big way. Um, so just me as a director, I've had films that um, been a finalist at Sappho Film Festival, which is the largest LGBT festival in Europe. Um, I've been a finalist at Nahimi, which is the um, like higher education awards for films. Um, what else have I done? I've been to RTS, which is Royal Television Screen Awards, uh, and then a whole plethora of like smaller festivals, documentaries have gone to before that I've directed. Um, our producer has just uh, finished working on a film that's just won an RTS award. Uh, our cinematographer also has documentaries that have done really well. They've gone to RTS, they've gone to um, Encounters, they've gone to... Um, I, don't, I don't know if uh, many other film festival names will spark viewership back home, but they've gone to several festivals. Mm. Um, and then our editor and our sound designer have also uh, come from festival backgrounds to work on this film. So it's a whole talented group of people that are, you know, there's a high probability that we're lightning strike twice and we'll end up at more festivals. Um so if you want to see your company logo right at the end of uh, uh, festivals, and I've been there, they will play the whole thing. They will let your logo scroll past for a whole... <laughs> they don't stop it. So I've sat through some credits that are really long. They will just let it keep rolling up as fast as we want. Yeah. Um, I, I actually sponsored... I, I, I sponsored a film years ago um, called um, One More Kiss, yeah. which was... Which was a, 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 a English film about someone dying of cancer, um, and ended up going to uh, the, the screening in Leicester Square, the red carpet yeah. screening in Leicester Square. It was great. It was a great experience. Yeah, there will um, be this will be screened in various places. So there will be screenings uh, for like high level uh, investors to come to if they want. Um, so there you go. If you if you yeah. if you fancy getting yourself. Uh, if you fancy getting yourself into a film, even even be it your name, um, and and actually maybe 
generating some quite interesting material as well mm. for social media. There's an opportunity there. Um, yeah, they are. That's, yeah, that's we probably can... it. We can even make your uh, your personalised thank you video. We can make a, a thank you to a company, a thank you to something for supporting that can go slap bang on your social media like that. There you go. And then, you, and then you've got it. There you go. Well, thanks for thanks for coming, talking to us all yeah. about it today. It's a really a in, yeah. different different subject for us. But sure. we crowbarred some ergonomics in, so that's we, all, you know, we that's more all that than crowbarred some ergonomics in. Actually, I mean the, the 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 thanks actually for talking about the whole film industry piece. That's no that's really interesting. Mm. I'm I've also been speaking to a uh, an ergonomist this week about a, a, another industry we don't talk about a lot. And maybe we'll talk about that another week, which is dentistry. Oh. Um, which is which is a which is a, a an interesting one, but you know ergonomics isn't just about um, someone sat at a desk in an office. Um, you know it is relevant to to all kinds of industry, and and yet mm -hmm. the, all of these industries need solutions. For sure, um, you'd be surprised how many filmmakers I talk to on a daily basis that struggle with um, just the equipment that yeah. would. Yeah, and uh, and actually some of the independent ergonomists that uh, that we know out there do work across different industries because yeah. it's you know so it's it's this is probably one that might get picked up by some of the people that we know um, absolutely yeah that, that would be good if anyone's got a great idea how to help uh you know anyone wants to talk to me about how to fix fix filmmakers backs I'm well here. i've got i've got a, i've got a simple idea which is i, I was thinking if you just put a frame um, continuing out from from the camera and just hang your hang your as the shopping on it at the other end, that might that might balance you out a bit, mightn't it? We need something that looks <laughs> a bit more professional. Do you know who I would speak to? There's a yeah. guy uh, I'm connected to on LinkedIn called Harold Floyd, who works for Elite. Not Harold Train. Floyd. No, Harold no. Floyd. Yeah. He's he's um, a guy X army guy now runs his own business and it's all focused he does some actually a good one for you to link to to, to connect with addy because he does a lot of um videos on linkedin of actually what he does and his training that he does but it's all around manual handling training and ergonomic training so oh, the guy's called harold him. floyd he yeah. ca we, we he came to one of our very first events and i've kept in touch with him mm. but he might be someone worth connecting harold floyd from elite for sure. Have a good look. Elite, mean... elite safety force. No, elite, elite force safety. Connect with oh, him. He's a really that, good guy. That's the thing we've been, I've been finding is that it's like there's there's actually solutions in place in the industry, but they are like, and we do get training on how to handle stuff. Yeah. It's not to fault anything else, but until you get to that high level in the industry where you yeah. can afford every bit of kit, um, that is not accessible to no. anyone until you've got millions of pounds of budget and you can move everything very easily yeah, at which you're... point of course of course it becomes when mm. when you've got millions of pounds of course it becomes easy to move stuff right yeah 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 i it, it's i've heard this across so many industries over the years i even i, I knew a, a, a pro bass player who had to completely relearn how to to play bass because he was getting carpal tunnel Wow, you know, you you, you think about. I mean, you, I don't know if you've ever held a, a proper bass guitar, but they weigh a ton, you know. And if you're if you're holding it like this and, mm. and For day sure. in day out, you know, you've got to you've got to learn to play it right, you know. And you might you might develop a technique that doesn't quite work right. I think we talked once about um, um, Nick Faldo. Did we not? The golfer. Possibly. Nick He Faldo, totally remodelled his swing. He had to completely, re and he had to do it actually out of in injury. Mm. You know? Because he was he was just finding that the way that he was hitting the ball was just actually causing him injury. So he had to completely learn how to play golf again. Yeah. And he would be from golfer. your neck of the, he'd be from your neck of the woods, wouldn't he, Graham? He was well in, well in Garden City, wasn't he? That's your old stomping ground isn't it no Bedfordshire Hardfordshire same thing yeah I did used to see him around Wogan Golf Club a bit yeah, yeah but you did absolutely well thanks for coming along Addy thanks thanks Steve, 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 Steve. 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 Steve.
great chat as usual. Next week we'll have more guests. Uh, might resurrect the game next week as well. Yeah. So yeah. I know what you're on about. Oh, yeah. uh, we we have a little bit of a game where um, people come on, play, and try and win some ergonomic equipment. Oh, uh, brilliant! Right. So hey, yeah, do go and tell do go and tell your your friends at university if they'd like to win some backer kit. Get on the show and beat me. All they have to do is literally they come in and they play with their smartphones. Is it trivia? It's it is trivia, yeah. Oh, I love a bit of trivia. It, it's trivial. I don't know about it, trivia. No, well, it is trivia though, isn't it? It's gen <laughs> it's generally uh, questions about uh, things on the back of website, and then Ooh. some random and, and bands actually... that Graham saw in 1984 in wherever. So it just yeah. gets thrown in. How can we... I win the the bits of trivia on Graham stuff? I'm not. Yeah, sure. oh. exactly. Um, but we. Very soon, we'll have some exciting news to tell people as well, won't we? But we're keeping that to ourselves for the minute. Um, thanks, thanks for coming along, everybody. No uh, we'll see Good you weekend, again everyone. next week. Yeah, see you next week. Bye for now. Week. Bye for now. Bye.